like Jesus said, those that will lose their life for my sake in the gospel will find it. It is true. And it's in those places that you, you lose your life. You're losing it in a daily way. You're losing it in this rough and, and, and abrasive uh, shock to your system and your culture and your language and everything else. But it is in that as you watch a believer smile, as you see somebody come to Christ, as you see a North American get it, and all of a sudden these young people whose life has been molded and shaped by the American dream, all of a sudden they get this call and understand their life has been molded and shaped for something eternal. That, that is just like stellar. Today we hear from my good friends and co-laborers, Stephen Sandy Yongren. At The Vine, we've been partnered with them for many years now as they labor to plant churches and develop leaders in Ecuador. Recently, they endured a scare with COVID-19. We hear all about that. And we also hear about what does it mean to be called? What does it mean to follow Jesus and do hard things? It's a really engaging conversation with two of my favorite people in the world. I really think you're going to enjoy it. So Steve and Sandy have been connected to The Vine, for, I think, for about seven years now. Um, we took our first vision trip about right. you guys in Ecuador. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that sounds about right. So why don't you guys... Um, actually, I'm going to derail myself here. I want to talk about what you guys have recently been through it's been kind of crazy so maybe um we could start with you know steve i know you received some some sad news uh, a few months ago you want to start there yeah sure um well everybody i know has been struggling with all of the pandemia and everything that's been going on and it definitely uh we were just finishing up a a training um, and had a bunch of groups come down. And then uh, Sandy was asked to head up to the States to give a women's conference. And then coronavirus hit everything. Um, we ended up being separated from each other. Uh, the country was closed to international travel in Ecuador. In Ecuador. And uh, I got a call from my brother that my my dad, who's been in a nursing home for a number of years with dementia, had contracted the the COVID virus, and uh, everything seemed they were going to keep him in quarantine, keep him isolated. Uh, going to have uh, a special team, a COVID team that had been assigned for this, was going to take care of him. But as it happened. Um, he ended up uh, getting worse from the virus. They ended up actually put him in hospice care, and within just a few days, probably uh, probably within a week or ten days after they got the news of him contracting the virus, he actually passed away. And um, yeah, it was really hard. I mean, super hard being away um super hard being away from sandy family um 
you know, I was very thankful uh, for the team at the Krista Nursing Care facility. They actually went in the night of his death and took an iPad and allowed me to see him. And I was able to say goodbye and, um, and just pray over him through an iPad. Yeah. Um, what a nightmare situation where oh you're stuck word. in Ecuador and it your was. wife's not there. Yeah, it was cool. your, your dad passes away. And I mean, I can't imagine. And then too, I think it's just so hard because you can't do all the normal things you would fall into at that point. It's sad up to that point, but you can't travel to be with family because of the pandemic. You can't plan a funeral. You can't mm -hmm. even oversee what happens to his body, you know, yeah. very well. It's just, you just don't think about those things, but that was really, really difficult. And still, we still haven't been able to even hug our own kids, you know, yeah. through this or be with family um, and really grieve together. It's been really difficult. This was weird yesterday. Yesterday we were actually sitting with grandkids um, watching a movie and there's, part in the movie where um, a dad uh, gave his his little kid a hug and uh, just caught me by surprise. Um, yeah. uh, I could feel the emotions all over again. So it was mm -hmm. weird. It was very, yeah. it was a very troubling, hard time being away from everybody at that point. Yeah. And so then you get a flight, um, God's providence, uh, or Ecuadorian government, or both, or the United States government, right? Um, you get a, you get a way out of the country, right? Um, yeah, yeah. About to, probably about two weeks after that happened, uh, we were able to get a humanitarian. I was able to get a humanitarian flight up to the states and arranged from the entry point to Chicago. And then I put myself in a in quarantine um, because of the travels and being in the airports right. and wanting to make sure I wasn't contagious to anybody and our family wanted me to make wanted to make sure that they weren't contagious to me and so I was uh, I quarantined myself in an apartment that my so son we did has. Not see each other yet. So we didn't still get yeah. get to be together yet. And then what happened? And then during that time. <laughs> I contracted COVID virus, crazy. So, which was really crazy because the I'm staying with we're staying with our daughter and son-in-law, and um, really they've protected me very well from having to go out to do anything. I mean they've done everything for me because we are over sixty, so they wanted to protect us. And somehow, even though everybody was being super cautious, staying at home, washing our hands till they were chapped, you know. Right. Um, somehow I, I, I got the virus. And so then for the next three weeks, I was pretty sick. I was able to be at home um, in contact with the hospital daily. So at this point, you guys are both in Chicago. Both in Chicago. But can't be near each other. Because exactly. then I had to go into complete isolation. From so it's anyone. like it's like Steve is in Ecuador. Like a, if a few weeks before this, Steve's in Ecuador, longing to be with his wife, just in general. But even <laughs> more so because his father had passed away. Yes. Yes. And then he gets back to the states, and he quarantines himself because that's just the responsible thing to do. And then his wife gets 
COVID-19 and he has to elongate the, you guys have to elongate the separation. I mean, it's just a nightmare scenario. And then again, and like what you just don't think about, just like with the death during this time, <clears throat> sickness during this time, you know, you're not only sick, but that nobody can really be with you to help you. So that I think it was really hard for the whole family that they couldn't be with me, you know, right. help mm -hmm. me. Steve couldn't be with me. Right. We had a few window visits, but that's about it. <laughs> Did you kiss him on the glass? <laughs> we blew a lot of kisses. Yeah, we blew kisses to each oh, other. Gosh. You feel like you're in the zoo or something. <laughs> it was pretty weird. Yeah. Pretty weird. Yeah. So you you had a, a was was your worst kind of symptom the fever? Um, worst symptom. Um. I, I get probably the, the results of the fever, which are just extreme fatigue yeah. and lightheadedness kind of, and then a really sore throat. That was, that was really bad too. Like absolutely lost my voice for a while. My voice yeah. is still really raspy from it. And just having to force yourself to eat when you don't want to eat, right? And no appetite, no energy to even get out of bed to get something to eat. You know, it's pretty, pretty much wipes you out. Oh my God. For three weeks. Yeah, it was over, th over three weeks, but I would mm -hmm. say the worst of it was done, you know, by the end of three weeks. So. Wow. Yeah. I can't imagine what you guys have been through. I mean, <laughs> that's, I mean, it, I mean, none of us are going to ever forget 2020, but you guys, especially. Yeah. It was, it's been pretty crazy. It's been pretty for crazy. sure. Crazy. Yeah. But I have to say, through the whole thing, like just praying together every day, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're just so you're just so aware of all the people that that are suffering far greater than than we than we were. You know, okay. you're just constantly thankful. Um, if you can be thankful, because in a way you kind of feel guilty too. You know what I mean? Right. But thankful, thankful. It could have been so much worse. Like I never had to be hospitalized. There's people close to us that have did have to be hospitalized. So we know the right. trauma of that, um, you know, but, but just, just very thankful, thankful for our family, thankful that we were at least in the same city. If he would have stayed in Ecuador, that would have been horrible for mm -hmm. me to get sick, you know? Yeah. So, so much to be thankful for. Um, Cause a lot of people have gone through a lot more tragedy yeah. than us this whole thing so yeah well we're so glad that you guys are reunited we are too yeah <laughs> well, let's switch gears a little bit i want to hear uh about your guys's early days in ministry and um i know uh i think you've, you've communicated how to me in personal conversations how you guys became christians and that was a beautiful story, but even more so, I'd love to hear how you guys sense this call to move overseas um, or move to a foreign country and just take us back there. And what, how did that go down? Like you have kids and we're going to pack up and leave. Like, how did that, how did that go down? We've, we've heard some stories about this already in, in the podcast but I'd love to hear from your perspective how that happened. Well, I'll say something first, just that we've been in like full-time ministry for 20, almost, almost 20 years, probably years. at that point. 
Yeah, yeah. 18 years. So Steve was a local church pastor, right? Yes. Yes. And what happened? What you did happen? Taking, you, start, you, start. you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> we started taking short-term trips like your church is doing. Yes. <laughs> And uh, started started visiting some of our uh, some of the missionaries that our church was supporting. Sandy actually spearheaded the very first uh, short term team. So be careful uh, how many short term trips you're going on. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Well, yeah, be careful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be careful. Like we need to do it. We want everyone to do it. But sorry, go ahead. <laughs> and it was just so uh, interesting because over a period of probably seven years of doing that. Um, there was something that began to stir in my heart first and then eventually led to Sandy's uh, recognizing that God was doing something. Um, I began to express it this way that I'm um, every time I would leave, in this case, Mexico at the beginning, it was working in Michoacan, every time I would leave and I would have these interactions, I would teach and preach in the, the settings there, I left a part of my heart there. And uh, it came to a place where I realized that my heart was there. And, um, and that was when we, we had been talking and I'd been talking with Sandy and saying, I feel like God is calling us into a new context for ministry, a cross-cultural Latin context for ministry. And I want you to really be praying about it. You can talk about that. Sandy, do you remember him bringing that up to you for the first time? Oh, yes. <laughs> so tell us about that conversation. Well, like everything that God has called us to pretty much. <laughs> I'm like the pessimist, you know, like it'll never work. It's not for us. And it's too radical, um, but married married somebody that just is very passionate about getting the word of God out. And so um, I think what it boiled down to for me is just seeing him in a foreign culture and seeing him flourish and seeing the way that people responded to him. Even though at that point we couldn't speak the language, mm -hmm. we had everything had to be translated, yeah. but there, there was just no, mistaking that God was doing something amazing and just felt honestly felt this weight on me that um knowing that if I resisted you know he's not the type that's going to be like hey woman we're going you know right. <laughs> submit <laughs> right. I knew if I resisted it, it wouldn't happen mm -hmm. and just felt that weight of responsibility that I <clears throat> saw clearly that this was a call so how long did that take you? I mean, he started talking about it probably four years before we actually went. You know, how long? probably four years is when he started talking okay, so this about. This was like a prolonged conversation. Very long mm -hmm. conversation. Gotcha. So, um, and it wasn't that we didn't go because I resisted. It just wasn't the right time. But he just kept bringing it up. And then when it I, when it looked like the right time, you know, I knew I knew that's what we needed to do. Yeah. I knew it was. So Steve, when you say that you felt like you left your heart, mm -hmm. in in this case it was Mexico, um, can you put more definition around that? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, um, 
there was a sense in which I recognized um, when I was there that there was a connection that was happening with the culture, with the people, with a foreign context that um, that was actually uh, more than just romanticism, more than just um, a, a wonderful experience, more than even the, you know, some of the the things of seeing a culture that's, you know, more impoverished or more whatever. Uh, there was a connection going on that went really deep into my, my soul uh, of, of recognizing God was the one that was calling this out, not just uh, emotion, not just... Uh, and not just a, a sense of uh, something unique, something adventurous, something wow, yeah. <laughs> but actually a very deep work that was going on inside me to the point where I was, uh, when I came back and I was pastoring in the States, it wasn't that I didn't have a heart for everybody that I was there. I loved the people. I loved the church. I loved preach the, the the pastoral ministry that was given but i just felt like yeah i i was feeling more foreign in coming back and recognizing there was there was that god was actually the one that was forming a heart now for mm -hmm. uh the latin people and for uh, a mission call so how did you navigate those four years for you personally when you're when you can tell that you you just have this call and your wife is just not sure or just not fully on board like how did you guys navigate that in your marriage well you can think about that for a minute. i mean i know it was a long time ago but yeah i know let me think like, no. was that 20 years ago or so more than 20 years ago yeah okay um for me, yeah, I just never felt him pushing, you know, mm -hmm. so I, it really just wasn't a problem for me. I mean, I never felt him pushing and I, and, um, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't feel like it affected our marriage much just because it wasn't a reality yet. So mm -hmm. I wasn't really pushing back and I didn't feel him like pushing me. I felt him like bringing it up. Like, this is what my heart is saying. This is. Yeah. You know, honestly, I feel like he did a good job of well, just Steve, saying. Did you, Steve, did you like sense any like bitterness or frustration in your heart, like that? No, I. It's kind of weird. I really do feel like um, in our marriage, from ever since day one, uh, I've. I was very fortunate to have a, a mother and a father who were very united in their love for each other and everything else. And for whatever reason, I have had a view, a strong view that the one flesh principle, uh, even though I am called to be the head of the relationship, that the one flesh principle, that one of the powerful ways that God demonstrates his leading of me is in the way that he will lead my wife as well. Yeah. yeah. And so I, uh, I, I was, it wasn't easy. And at times I wished, you know, there was things where I wish I was maybe wishing things could happen a little more quicker or whatever.
whatever. But there was a sense, a deep sense that no, it's not right until we're one in this. It's just not the right time. I didn't question whether God was talking to me, but I did. I was submitting myself to the timing based on the um, based on the, the the sense of uh, contentment that Sandy had over the idea, over the peace that she had, and even. And then when she said yes, I mean, we still ended up being probably a year and a half before we actually transitioned to being in Mexico and working there. There was a lot of stuff that had to happen during that time as well. Yeah. I wonder if there's, um, if you could look back in hindsight and think about, I like for me, um, there's times in my life when I thought I wanted something and I wanted it immediately. And it seemed like because of circumstances, you know, you look back and go, well, the Lord was really slowing us down for a purpose. And you look back with hindsight and go, thank you, Lord, for slowing us down. Um, I wonder if, is that ring a bell at all with this situation um, where it was like God's providence that you didn't leave like right when Steve wanted to um, or, yeah, for sure. I think one thing for sure is that when he first was talking about it, our kids were all younger. Mm -hmm. We ended up going. Three of our kids were had moved, you know, moved on with their life and were out of the house. Mm -hmm. We only had one left at home. And so I think, you know, in hindsight, I don't know how the other three, especially our sons, would have fared had sure. we packed them up and moved them to Mexico. Yeah. Where the youngest one, she'll say herself, it was the best thing that happened for her even though she was resistant in the beginning she'll say that it's the best thing that ever happened to her life so that for sure i think was a big thing yeah and i think um i think there were things internally in me that god was trying to deal with that started there i won't say they got they were completed before going on the mission field but there were definitely some um you know big issues in my own heart, my own character, my own life, mm -hmm. that um, God was uh, opening my eyes to during that time that I don't think uh, could have happened otherwise. If we had been, if we had a transitioned quicker, I think I would have been way more focused on um, making a ministry happen quick and getting, you know, and. Uh, figuring out what to do with our oldest kids and all of that kind of stuff uh, would have consumed me and would have short circuited some of the work that God was doing during that, during those days. So, so you guys packed up and moved when you were early forties. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. 40, 40 basically 40. 40. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So you turned 40 and we're moving to Mexico. Mm -hmm. What would you say, because we, we talk nation stuff a lot at the Vine, um, and, you know, we've been praying for 10 years that we could be ascending church in terms of church planting among neighbors and nations. So we've planted two churches um, in Madison, and we've um, been really involved in things overseas in Ecuador and Morocco. Um, but in terms of sending uh, long-term people for the sake of church planting, um, overseas that hasn't happened much but we talk about it a lot and um, I'm sure there are people that are wondering I wonder if you know is this me 
And what would you say to somebody that's just wondering, and maybe it's just a secret wondering, um, you know, I, I know I can be obedient to stay and work a, a job here for the glory of God. Um, but I'm wondering if obedience for me might be to move for the sake of the glory of God to another part of the world. How do you guys help people discern that call or that desire? I mean, I, I hate the word call. It feels like it's so over-spiritualized these days, but um, I like the word better desire. Like, is this an appropriate desire? Um, should I act on it? Yeah, maybe I'll answer the practical end of that question. You can answer the spiritual end of that question. Sure. <laughs> it kind of works together. But I think um, just practically speaking, we encourage people to go on short-term trips you know to go on short-term trips go on probably more than one and and maybe just i would insert not necessarily a short-term team trip but like actually go down and just live life right. on a short-term basis yeah. with the missionaries both yeah. both of them yeah and then um and then if there's still that prompting um one thing that we provide for people that we know and have been working with and talking about this with, but they could do this with anybody, is to kind of do kind of an internship, even if you're older, like go for a longer term, where it's not just a short term romantic, we went and did this, this and this, you know, and it was awesome. Like a medium term but, commitment. Yeah. Like I would, you know, when we're talking months instead of a week or, or a couple of weeks or something. Yeah. Just so that you can really see you, that you're there long enough to see the difficulty of it, not the romanticism of it, but the difficulty of it. Because I think that really helps you, you know, the ones who are, it's, it's not necessarily that because you're called, it's going to be easier and it's not going to be difficult. Right. I think it's that if you're called, God gives you incredible grace to work through that difficulty. Right. And um, you want to, you want to work through it because your passion is so heavy um, for, for whatever he's called you to do there. So you have to like basically move past the honeymoon period. Yes. Like when you're dating someone the first two weeks is always awesome. Yes. But six, six months, things might not be as awesome. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and that too, I think preparing that way, um, we've just seen people who have just packed it all up, so sure that this is what God told them to do, um, sold everything, told everybody, raised all their support, get on, on the mission field, and within a year, they're dying. I mean, yeah. they're dying. They cannot wait to get out of that country. And um, that's hard. And then it's, most of the really time tough. they come back feeling ashamed, yes. which is not good either. So. And it just introduces all these other questions. What did I hear? Whereas if you plan to go for a shorter term, like internship or something like that, then that's your plan. And at the end of that plan, if God's saying, yeah, thank you for saying yes. Awesome that you said yes, but I think you would serve better here. Um then it's, it's, it's a okay. Win. It's still it's okay. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that you bring this up because we talked about this in the podcast um, where I interviewed Tony Tucci because he was seven years old when his parents, you know, at this time, this is the 80s, um, highly influenced by Keith. Um, Keith yeah. and, um, and they just packed up and left. Mm -hmm. And six kids 
Um, <laughs> I think his mom might've been pregnant at the time. I could be wrong on that, but um, yeah, six kids. Mm-hmm. And we, we talked about this issue of discernment and um, being thoughtful and careful. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other side of the coin might be, uh, we're gonna just go for it. And some people might interpret that as reckless. Mm-hmm. And it's mysterious, maybe, to like know exactly what the Lord is doing in someone and how to, you know, that was just the interesting discussion that we had. Like, you know, was it reckless for my parents to do that? Well, I mean, who ultimately who's to say? Um, but we do all have a stories where you can see looking back that somebody was reckless and it and it didn't bear much good fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it's it's a tricky thing to um, to pin down because as a as a leader, I would say I think in our culture at least um, we could use a lot more recklessness. You know what I mean? In quotes, yes. we're not erring on that side at all. Do that. Of like the Lord says, go. It's clear. Make disciples among the nations. Why shouldn't I go? But at the same time, you know, when we're raising up church planters, we don't just open like. Who wants to plant a church? Well, no, we want to be thoughtful. And are you called? There's internal sense of call, external sense of call. But like Tony's parents, I I could be having the story wrong, but it doesn't sound like they had a ton of external sense of call of other people saying, yeah, you guys should really do this. It's more like we're doing it. And they did. <laughs> yeah, this one thing about that that I, that I just think of off the top of my head is um, times have changed. And you're right. We have gotten into a time where things are, you know, you don't just... take maybe too much decision making and what's going to, what sacrifice is going to be involved in this and all that. But, but there's other ways that times have changed and it's much easier for people to travel now and Mm -hmm. go get their view of the whole world. And I think because of that, I think we need to use more caution because you have so many young people that his parents, who know, did they ever visit Mexico before that? I don't know. I don't remember. No. I, I want to say no, though. But, but a lot I could of, be wrong. yes, a lot they of, they didn't know the language. Yes, a lot of missionaries then. And really, even when we went, missions, short term missions trips was just not a thing. It still wasn't a thing, you know. Hmm. It's a big thing now. When I led my first uh, short term missions team from our church, uh, both missionaries we went to had never had a church visit them on the mission field. So, because it just was not common. You Interesting. Just did not- so the short-term mission, like I've, I've never known not having that, you know, yeah. when I was in youth group as a kid, we did short-term trips, yeah. but that's a recent thing, like in the eighties, evidently, huh? Yes. In terms of being yeah. popular. In yeah. Rome. And so I think it's a different kind of like, wow, dangerous call type you know good dangerous call back when you didn't you didn't have a lot of information you're just jumping because god told you to jump whereas today there's things like that too but i think what we run into is that there's so many people visiting just just our little mission there's so many people that and it does kind of look exciting and romantic and and all that kind of thing to people who visit i think there does need to be a bit of caution because that's where we see people kind of airing because they have visited and so they're emotionally they have an emotional attachment to what this life might look like yep. or what they experience there in their heart 
And so I think it does take a bit of caution these days just because it is so accessible right. that um, I think people can jump before they've thought it through really well. And, and they get there and see that it isn't the romantic thing they visited for a couple of weeks. It's really hard work in every way. And so they're very discouraged and disappointed and it isn't what they thought. I mean, that's just one thought I have about that. Yeah, I mean, the thing I want to emphasize is not that we're, you know, we want to squash anybody's sense of call. No. But I think it's really important to be humble enough to want to listen to what others say. Yeah. So if, you know, if I felt called in quotes to be a pastor, but every time I got up to preach, everyone was cringing and just like, <laughs> like, dude, like, it's like the American Idol, you know, thing where everyone's cringing and the person is oblivious that everyone is cringing. And my grandma told me I was a great singer, but everyone else thinks I'm horrible. And, you know, you just don't want that to happen. And so just hopefully myself or anybody else would have the humility to go, okay, there's, there's a disconnect between everyone else seems to be perceiving of me and my self perception. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing that I want to emphasize for folks, you know, it's like, you're going to be a missionary, or I want to be a missionary. Well, do you have any track record of sharing your faith and enjoying it and seeing people resonate with you when you share your faith? And maybe that's not a reason and there's a biblical category for Jeremiah and no one ever repents and believes, but I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I would, I would just say to, you know, one of the things that I think is um, a bit of a fallacy is the idea of, I mean, uh, we are all called, I'm rereading it again. I've been rereading it a number of times. Pipers don't waste your life. I mean, every one of us is called our calling is to lose our lives for Christ's sake and for mm -hmm. the gospel. Mm -hmm. That is our calling. And the idea of where that calling takes place, whether it's in the States, what is it that we're going to lose by staying in the States for his sake and for the call, for, for the gospel? Mm -hmm. Those are things, I think, questions we need to ask ourselves, whether we stay or whether we go. And if we're going to go, there are things you're going to lose. And those are reasons, one of the reasons why I think it is healthy, if possible, to do that in a graduated way, because you're going to lose the ability to just connect with family anytime you want to. You're going to lose the ability to feel comfortable just going out and doing normal everyday stuff because it's going to be foreign. You are in another culture god's called you to another culture and it's going to take a long it's a long period of time to learn the ways of the people to learn the ways of how they do uh, you're going to lose the 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 incredible familiarity of your native language especially if you're called to another country you're going to lose that you're i remember sitting in a in a language school uh, they asked me to do a. Uh, they asked me to do a report on the death penalty, <laughs> and I had about in a, Spanish, right? In Spanish, and I had a probably a kindergartner's worth of grammar, <laughs> and 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 you know I'm feeling this incredibly like foolishness uh, come over me because I'm realizing this is a theme I would love to talk about, but I can't. Right. And I can't do it by any more than 
say, well, killing is bad. Um, but people should be nice. You know, but, but sometimes laws or whatever, you know, just this mm-hmm. this thing. So I, I I there is a lot of losing by staying. Yeah. And there's a lot of losing by going. But I'm sure on the plus side, though painful, God led you into some depths of humility through that process that proved very beneficial for you. Absolutely. And beneficial to the gospel, ultimately. Because <laughs> yeah. it's not your power, because you, you got a kindergarten, kindergarten level language right. at that point. <laughs> There's nothing more warming than to see a gringo make a fool of himself. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so this is good. This is a good segue, because I want to I hear more about this transition to Mexico Sandy, can you remember, is there any poignant memory where you're like, all right, we've packed up, we moved to Mexico, and it's clear the honeymoon is over? Do you remember any of those moments when you first moved to Mexico? Well, we really had no honeymoon there. So it's just hard from day one? We moved. To the border. We moved uh, across the California border into a very, very poor area. And we moved there to learn the language and to help other missionaries. And so I moved out of my rather sweet little house that I had decorated finally just the way I wanted it into literally this missionary couple's storage unit. Wow. And um, so that meant we, it was storing food and clothing and things like that. Mm-hmm. We cleaned it out. And rats. Rats, <laughs> mice, cockroaches <laughs> everywhere. You know, we cleaned it out. I mean, the honeymoon was pretty much over right then. <laughs> and we lived in this very poor community and our ministry at the beginning, but it was so good. It was so good for us, really. It was joyful, but our ministry at the beginning literally was cleaning out outhouses of a daycare center mm. and uh, sorting sorted tons of clothing, clothing and, food. and food to be distributed because we couldn't speak the language, you know. So we played with toddlers at a daycare center, changed dirty diapers, uh, cleaned out the outhouse, and sorted food and clothing. That's that's what we did. And so went from, like you, pastoring, leading worship, doing all those things, to that. Yeah. And it, th- there was no, there really was no honeymoon there. <laughs> so were know? there moments where you're like, you know, this is crazy. Why are we here? Yes, of course. <laughs> what, what kept you going in those, in those early days? That, that same thing I told you about that beforehand was uh, a big part of what led us is that there was a deep, deep sense of call. Yeah. And that, that's what kept us going. It also is what pushed me for sure to do everything I could to get the language. Because I <laughs> selfishly, I didn't want to spend the rest of my life cleaning outhouses and changing <laughs> diapers on the mission field. So, <laughs> but it was really cool because God also, I think, used that as an opportunity for us to connect with the missionary couple. They had a daughter that was exactly my daughter's age. It was just beautiful the way the Lord orchestrated that. And then we were able to make connections with some of the little local, poor little local pastors there. And with what little 
brutal Spanglish I had um, really was able to connect heart with, with some of these guys, which kept spurring us on to yeah. keep, keep moving forward and keep going. And we, within a year, we had um, gotten some language, gotten the language training and made a move to where we ended up being for the next five years, which was in Southern Mexico. But I have to say, I mean, just it's like, I think it's like anything in life that God calls you to do. The brokenness that came out of that, mm -hmm. I think, was essential. Yeah, like it confronted everything in our own hearts that if there was a fantasy, it just crumbled yeah, right man. at the beginning because you you just feel so, like Steve said, you feel like a kindergartner. You know, you can't right. communicate. Um, here's these these just precious people that are desperately poor um that we just had never been exposed to that before either so just all of it just just breaks you and and you you just end up having to confront your own heart about many 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 things right because when you're in your when you're in your natural element there's so many things that prop you up yes um that are just you know and that are just normal and you don't even realize it because it's the water you swim in we talked about this with ruby who did a medium term commitment yeah. to our partners in North Africa and um and it's like when you go to a different culture all of those things that are quote normal aren't there right. and so it just exposes all yes. the stuff it's like you put pressure on yourself and what's in your heart is just going to come out yes it's so yeah. true and i think too again practically speaking like for a church churches to be aware of i think that's why your expectations should be pretty low and your care should be pretty high when people first go on the mission field because it's it just boils your brain just to try to survive because mm -hmm. things you don't even think about in your own culture you constantly brain. be thinking about so that first year i think is you know if when people are like so how many people have come to the lord and it's like i'm just trying to survive in a right. in a culture that mm -hmm. just confronts me on every side every minute of the day you fall into bed exhausted at night from all the mental and uh, emotional things you've had to confront all day long you know yeah. so we've we've painted the the picture of the the challenge <laughs> what were which is good and i I've, i really want people um to count the cost but what, what were some of those joys that you experienced in those in in your mexico time that really made the cost uh worth it do you do you have a do you have um a story or something that summarizes that or just thoughts that come to mind for for me i'm getting all emotional even when you just say that i mean i'll never forget cleaning those outhouses and um com contrasting it with my life before where i mean i can say that now 20 some years later you know getting a lot of accolades and praise because of leading worship or doing this fun thing or that fun thing um you know the things that i lived for that just seemed so shallow that um, i remember cleaning those outhouses and just being so joyful honestly joyful like this is what it's all about this is it if i can't do this, then am I even, am I even a believer? I mean, I remember thinking that kind of thing, like, why haven't I done this kind of thing before? Why haven't I ever served in this way before? I mean, there, 
the count it all joys and the, the mandate to be joyful in the middle of suffering, mm -hmm. I feel like I experienced firsthand there because it was joy. It really was not, um, it was not this heavy burden I have to do. There was true broken joy in that. So that's just one of my memories. Yeah, and I think, I think too, what was happening during all of that time is God was molding and shaping the kind of heart and ministry that he would eventually have us be doing and re relating to others and trying to translate into training and planting churches and all of that. Um, and from that, we we began to do missions training for North American young people coming down and in that sense, try to really remove the the idealism of missions or the romanticism of missions mm -hmm. and, and really give them the heart of the Father for the nations more and above, higher and greater than whatever uh, adventure spirit that might be motivating anybody. And he let them feel God's heart uh, that makes you, makes it worth, you know, like, like Jesus said, those that will lose their life for my sake in the gospel will find it. It is true. Mm -hmm. And it's in those places that you, you lose your life. You're losing it in a daily way. You're losing it in this rough and, and, and abrasive uh, shock to your system and your culture and your language and everything else. But it is in that as you watch a believer smile, as you see somebody come to Christ, as you see a North American get it, and all of a sudden these young people whose life has been molded and shaped by the American dream, all of a sudden they get this call and understand their life has been molded and shaped for something eternal, that that is just like mm -hmm. stellar. And mm -hmm. I can, I mean, there's just so many stories of that. And we have, you know, we're at an age and at a place in life where, you know, we get regularly different people just speaking and talking about how, how their life has been affected and changed and molded yeah. for eternity. Yeah, so you're cleaning out houses, and it's clear, like, this is a form of me laying down my life. Yes. And to, to the verse you just quoted, Steve, it's like, but I've never felt more alive, is kind of what I'm hearing you say. Like, I feel alive. Like, and it, right. it was hard, I'm sure, but like, yeah, I, I, you lose your life, you gain it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know? um, and to be living that is something you just can't explain or express right and i would just say i want to just say this to um we we were in keith green's era mm -hmm. and i know and, and there was a different kind of thing going on back then and um and the ability to hear and just go mm -hmm. was like that was what it was about in the 70s in mm -hmm. 60s and 70s we have responded recklessly to that call at in those days of our lives at this point in time when short-term missions and all of these things are so much more available so much bigger technology is bigger and all this stuff's bigger it is it is too easy for missions to appear to just be a 
an option. Yeah. And there is a need to purify the calling, if I can say it, by putting yourself in places where you actually are recognizing, is this a call or is this just a, a beautiful desire that I need to support a, from home? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's, that's, really why, that's the way I would say it. Yeah, that's really good. Really good. Um, for those who might not know, because we have a lot of young people, young people like 20s and 30s may have never heard of Keith Green. Keith Green was kind of an early Christian music rock star. Yeah. Um, and very, very dynamic, very charismatic. Um, and he had an amazing conversion story, but he was known for just really calling people out yeah. and um, just calling them to, you know, I'm tempted to say radical obedience, but it's not radical. It's very normal. It's like yeah. what the Bible says, but just calling people to awaken themselves to that. And um, he influenced a lot of people before he um, tragically died in a plane crash at a young age. Read the book, No Compromise. No compromise. Yep, there the book is called No Compromise. We're, uh, we're not getting paid to advertise that. But, um, <laughs> so what, um, Steve, everybody loves a good story. And I remember you telling me uh, the crazy story about when you guys showed the Jesus film in that one village in Mexico. Oh, yeah. Can you tell us what happened that night? And that was... Uh, I remember being riveted the first time you told me that story. Yeah, so I was working with a, a, a pastor in this general area, very indigenous area, a lot of villages. Um, and there was a village that had no, only one known believer in it. And she had invited the pastor to come and show the Jesus film. And um, we, with our... In her yard, right? Mm -hmm. In her yard in her yard yeah and so that she could invite neighbors to come and see the film and uh, we had we had a little setup for that and a projector and a um, way to show it and so um, I joined up with the pastor and we went around and invited people our team we had a small team of uh, both uh, North Americans and, and Ecuador uh, Mexicans that were with us and we went around and invited uh, people to come very few showed up there was some believers from the outside that came so we were maybe 20 25 people in the yard watching the Jesus film and it really um, it came to this one point in the Jesus film if you've seen it where it's it's the garden scene Jesus is praying and there's these crowd that comes up with the torches and the and they're with Judas and the soldiers are going to arrest Jesus it was really literally right around that time I looked down the road towards the village center and I saw a crowd of people and I thought awesome they are going to come they want to see the movie this is so cool I can't wait and but as they got closer I started hearing uh, gunshots and uh, we as they got closer I could see that pretty much everybody had either a stick or a gun um, as they got even closer we saw that a lot of them had rocks 
And but they were, but they were shooting in the air, right? They weren't shooting at people. No, they were shooting in the air. In they the were air, shooting okay. in the air. Yeah. And, and they, they had been, they, they were also very uh, inebriated too. So it was a kind of a uh, match to a fire type of thing. But the, the, um, they get up and they surrounded the whole backyard area. And uh, at that point, we went, myself and the pastor went to them and just said, we, we're, we're, we don't, you know, we're just showing a, a movie about Jesus. You all are, are, you know, Latins, you are familiar with Jesus and the Jesus story. And that's what we're doing. They uh, said, no, we want you out of here now, that type of thing. We just kept kind of talking back and forth until the movie basically went through the, the crucifixion of Jesus, his resurrection. And uh, when it was, when, when all of that had taken place, we thought, okay, well, well, we'll shut it down here. And so we said, okay, we'll just go ahead and we'll shut her down at this point. Um, pretty much anybody from the community had left by then too, uh, that was watching the movie. And uh, we went in the house, we started praying and, um, and singing together they surrounded the house they took the fuses out of the electrical box so no lights no nothing wow. we went back out and um we're just you know again trying to appeal to their their heart and just say look we we, we mean no harm we are here to just bless the community and the guy as i just tried to open my mouth the one guy just started barking like a dog. It was the weirdest thing. He just went like this. And, and then as he did that, every other male in the, in the village started doing the same. And it was like this huge, huge pack of male dog type stuff. Was that like something in their culture? Like, I think indicative it was the, of like opposition or something. Yeah. I think it was their form of shutting down any kind of argument or dialogue. So we'll just drown you out with our dog barking. Yeah, exactly. It felt pretty demonic, actually. Sure. <laughs> but it, I'm pretty sure it was more cultural. And um, at that point, we just felt for the safety of everybody that we needed to leave. And so we did. Um, and it was very, very heavy experience. But I have to say this, and I'd heard these stories from other missionaries, but I have to say it the whole time. Even though there were 80 to 100 of them, all with guns and sticks and rocks and everything else, every time I talked, every time I spoke, I felt as though I had an army around me. And I'm not be that's not being super spiritual. It literally felt like that. I did not feel like I was the minority. I felt a sense of calm and a sense of steadiness and a, a sense of, uh, you know, just a God-given steadfastness that mm -hmm. I don't know how to describe other than God's presence right there, right yeah. then. Yeah, it's so and, good. Uh, and it was, it was amazing. Uh, you know, at, within a couple of years after that, God has actually established a work there. I didn't get to see that, but I've heard about, heard about it since then that God actually did end up establishing a work there in that village. But yeah. Beautiful. yeah, It's like the scripture where Jesus says, like when they drag you before authorities and rulers, yeah. and you're called to testify. Don't 
pre-plan what you're going to say just right. in the moment, you know, it will be given to you. That's, that's what right. it sounds like you experienced. Right. Exactly. That's a, that's a, that's a great story. Um, Sandy, what about for you? Like whether it's um, Mexico or Ecuador, what's, what's some of the craziest stuff you've experienced? <laughs> um, let's see. Boy, that's a big question. I don't know. I think <clears throat> the craziest thing I experience is, is having to trust God with all the crazy things my husband <laughs> says yes to. <laughs> yep. Going down to the jungle and getting bit by yeah, a snake or something. There's, there's danger. Both places we've been, there's danger everywhere. You know, in earlier days, even in Ecuador, there's danger just in travel. There's a lot mm -hmm. of danger. Yeah. In Mexico, there was a lot of danger just in travel. When you think, um, you know, unreached people groups, the reason why they're unreached besides just, you know, spiritual bondage is a lot of times because they're hard to get to. So it means danger trying to get to them. And that's why they, nobody's consistently done it. And Steve's the type to say yes to all of that, you know? So, um, you know, I've seen a lot of weird, I've seen a lot of weird things and adjusting to culture has been definitely been difficult. There's a lot of strange stories, but, but. Um, She's the, she is the one that if you want to find a snake, she hates snakes. She's absolutely, but no matter where we go, if she comes with me, there will be a snake. Yeah. It, it's just, it's so Nobody sees snakes unless I'm <laughs> so wow. that's, a, that's a weird story too. Like it's not just seeing a snake. <clears throat> I think it was the last time we were in some little village in the jungle, um, you know, and there's a big ruckus and all the men are running and all the women are following them. And we're like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And finally somebody said a snake. And so I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm not following these people, right? Well, so then there's like this procession and they're bringing in this humongo snake. They've cut the head off and they're carrying it's it It's a off. very, very poisonous very snake po in One Ecuador. of the most poisonous Is this in snake. Ecuador or Mexico? In, in Ecuador. Ecuador. Yeah. In Ecuador. And so, of course, they're coming right toward me, right? Of course, with this big, huge snake. Why? Because, well, because I was in the way of where they were going. I just oh, I see. It wasn't like they were bringing you know, it to you. Right. I'm trying to get away from them, and they, they're, like, heading right toward me. So, anyway, so they go right by, and then, like, it's just, like, you know, then they hang up the snake, then they have to cut open the snake, and then all the women are taking the things that are going to protect them from this and that out, out of the snake and putting it in their bowls and running them off to home and you know so they're going to eat it then no they know. rub it on their the pregnant women use well, there's a bunch of different there's a bunch of stuff just yeah. a bunch of different um things if they use the eggs for one thing it's all uh like uh what do you call it? like medicinal yeah for to them they might snake later, but they completely take everything out of it because each thing is like sacred and they're going to use it for this or for that or whatever. Okay. So yeah, yeah there's lots that's of- a, That's a cultural uh, differentiation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you guys yeah. think of um, other, other experiences where you were just like slapped in the face with like, oh my gosh, I am not in the United States anymore. And this is like just blowing my mind just in terms of cultural difference. That happens a yeah, lot. Yeah, I was going to say down. I don't, I don't know that that, I don't know, so far after <laughs> 20 years, I don't think that 
completely goes away. There's still a little, even if they're little things that you're still figuring out is, um, you know, a complete cultural difference. You just have to swallow it and just, you know, go with the flow. But um, as far as particular things, it's like- One of, it one of the communal drinks that is, <laughs> is so special in the jungle and especially in the village that we work with one of the pastors there it's so funny to see women sitting around it was almost like you you think of it like the old days with a woman's uh, missionary sewing circle <laughs> this is this is a mission this is like the women's chicha, chicha circle where they all chicha. Sit around. they chicha. all have the yucca plant the ladies are all talking to each other and chewing on the yucca plant and spitting out after they've chewed up, chewed it up well, they spit it into a bowl, and that bowl a ends communal. up a communal bowl, and that bowl ends up being uh, fermenting a bit, and then it ends up being the drink that everybody drinks, and they usually pass it around in a gourd uh, to everybody there. And you definitely, at that point, recognize, yeah, I'm definitely that. Well, Steve, I don't know if you remember, but I was with you um, <laughs> on one of those trips. Oh, yes. Yes. So we were in the jungle uh, in Santa Ana, right? Right. And um, we went and visited David, where he okay. lived. And we had a big discussion. There was like, it was like the tribal council. Like it was, yeah. when I described this, it's like, it was straight out of what you would imagine. Like, oh, we're in the jungle, the Amazon jungle. <laughs> like we're in a national geographic special. Like exactly. it was that. <laughs> and we're in these thatch roofed huts and yeah. we're sitting around. And I mean, I didn't speak Spanish. So I don't know anything what you guys were talking about, but it's like the, the, the village elders. And, you know, they bring out the papaya and all I remember about the papaya is that we had to use so much bug spray, like just DEET, the DEET bug spray, like the heavy duty, like bug armor. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, you spread it all over your body. And so your hands are covered with DEET and they, they bring out the papaya and we're grabbing the papaya, you know, with not, no silverware or anything with our DEET covered hands. And then it just tastes like papaya plus deet <laughs> i remember that very poignantly but i remember that they brought out the 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 chicha is that what's called chicha yeah the chicha and praise the lord that i mean this is another one that was for me like oh my gosh this is cross-cultural goodness right here um i was in the jungle outhouse that only had three sides. Oh, they didn't out. have four sides. It only had three sides. So you're you're facing the Amazon jungle, and no one else can see you. But you know, like if somebody like walked up, you know, you would just be sitting there. And and they brought out the chicha when I was in the jungle outhouse, and so I, I didn't have to like figure out how to navigate that situation because I was not looking forward to partaking in the chicha. Yeah. But others on our team did. Yep. So. Yeah. Did heard. anybody get sick? No one got sick. Nope. Yay. Yeah. Yep. I had more teacher than I care to think about. <laughs> for the for the gospel. The sake of the nations, brother. That's right. Worth it. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna gain your life as you lose it as you're drinking that stuff. That's right. I think I I think there's so many things though that their culture really challenges um, my mindset that I've grown up with in my own culture. And like for example, um, you guys were praying for us and 
and came and visited us and prayed over our property when the volcano was erupting. And um, there was there was a huge valley full of, of people and livelihood that was at risk if this volcano erupted, which they were saying it was going to. And um, I kind of had that thought like, wow, this is so not our culture. Mm -hmm. Because just the general attitude of the simple farmer in that area, including our own caretakers, Juan mm -hmm. Maria, but just the whole attitude was, if it if that blows and we die, we die. Right. You know, and I remember Juan and Maria looking at us and going like, we know God, we know where we're going. So, you know, maybe it's the end of this life, but it's the beginning of our of our new life. And so we're gonna stay here with our property and our animals. And if we yes. die, we die. You know, we don't have a place to move. That that's the other thing too. Like we we can't just pick up and move. We could. Right. They couldn't. Right. Um, just things like that are constantly happening that that really I think just confront, you know, the not so good parts of our culture. And um, like even during this pandemic, like people, you know, what lengths are they gonna go to to not get sick? <laughs> right. You know. Um just seeing a, a different attitude. It's more attitude of like we're community, we're watching out for each other, we're we're gonna we're gonna try to do our best to protect, you know, each other. We're gonna be with each other. If we go down, we're going down together. Right. And um, you know, we know where we're going. So I don't know. Just you know, there's just a, a there's just a, a profound but simple gospel faith. I think in so many places like that with people who have just had nothing their whole life that I that I envy. You know, yeah. So yeah. you're 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 a student of their culture, and you're yes. you're gaining from Absolutely. what you get to learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. Just to to give a little backstory there. What was that? Five years ago? Six years ago? No. Um, maybe five. Maybe five. Five-ish years ago. Five years, um, five years yeah. ago. Yeah. So Steve and Sandy live uh, about 15 miles from Cotopaxi uh, volcano, and it's just beautiful. Their property, um, about an hour and a half south of Quito, is surrounded by Andes Mountains and just beautiful, beautiful peaks. And the volcano, it's just on a, on a clear day, it's just right there. Mm -hmm. And uh, about five years ago, the volcano was um, becoming active again. And um, if that thing were to blow, you, you just wouldn't have time to escape. No. It would be horrendous. And um, and so they had to leave the property and this pop property that they've invested in year after year for the sake of developing leaders for church planting in Ecuador was just, it, there was no guarantee that it would even exist. It could have been buried under a massive mudslide. Yes. And so that was a very, very stressful time for Steve and Sandy um, that we got to walk with them in that. But again, I'm sure it's one of those things where you guys just learned in such a deep way that you're not in control and that all this is the Lord's and you just wait on him. Yeah. yeah. I think I think it's prepared us for this pandemic too, because we were thinking back in the last five years in Ecuador, <laughs> first there was that, and our property was right in the path of that mud flow. And there was over an 80%, scientists were predicting an 80% chance of that thing erupting. So it would have wiped out everything. Yep. First, it was that, just following that. I mean, poor Ecuadorians right now. Mm -hmm. Following that were the earthquakes that 
devastated areas on the coast. I mean, just wiped them out. Yeah. And then the earthquakes kind of moved inland. So we experienced the earthquakes too. And it was just so, uh, so stressful. They were the, we lived in California through a few bad earthquakes. So this was right. worse than anything yeah. I had ever felt. So stressful. That finally calmed down. And then just last year, they had the riots. And that was um, a really horrible time. Um, the indigenous people rose up and caused a lot of damage and kind of just took kind of mutiny charge over the whole uh, country. Right. And we were all housebound during that time, but really fearfully housebound because there was so much destruction going on outside of your house. So it was a very fearful, stressful time. And now the pandemic, you know, so for Ecuadorians, this is like the fourth, fourth huge thing that has affected their lives in, in just five and it's been really devastating in Guayaquil on the coast, yeah, right? Very devastating. This, yes, very devastating. Because I, an underdeveloped country, like we were rushing here to, you know, to make sure that our hospitals had everything that they need and to make sure that we could take care of the people who were in them and all of that. But in a, in a developing country, they, the whole world is fighting for all of those things. And so they're not they're not going to get them. Right. And so they're just, they're just left to whatever. I mean, it pretty they tragic. Did, they, did, they did an exemplary job with what they had. They sure did. They right. sure did. Was, but you know, it's, it's devastating. And there too, like we've been saying like here, everybody feels that if you lose your job, it's really hard, but um, kind of, we're kind of stockpilers here in the United States. Yeah. We usually have a couple cupboards with at least some canned food in it. Right. But in Ecuador, they usually get paid by the day or by the week, and they shop by the day. So they don't have pantries or cupboards with food, maybe a bag of rice. Yeah, give so us this day our daily bread has more meaning. Yes. Right. So very quickly, there's people who have no, no food. So they've just experienced a lot of hardship in the last five years, a lot of hardship. Well, I'm so glad that you guys um, are able to be there. Um, and uh, live there and encourage the local church there. And I know because I've talked to the people um, how much your investment there has meant to so many people. And so in the midst of crises, when the local church can rise up um, in dependence on the spirit and the word to be a, a beacon of light, a city on a hill, to, to be a, a source of strength, um, you guys have contributed to that. And so it's been such a privilege for me to know you guys and to observe that and to participate a little bit in what you guys are doing down there. And so, um, well, let's not forget, um, how much the vine is a part yeah, of what we're doing sure. and sending you throughout the year, sending you to teach. And you have such an incredible way of connecting with people of other cultures that that that's just not a normal, natural thing for most people. And the partnership with Claudio and the Emmaus churches too. It's yes. amazing. Just we're so, so thrilled for you guys to be a part of everything that's going on there. And you're, you're a huge, you're family, family type of part, not just like some little side part. Right. You're a huge part. Right. <laughs> well, it's nothing but a joy. And um, I could talk to you guys for another three hours, but we should probably wrap it up there. <laughs> Um, love you guys so much. And, um, we will, God willing by his word and spirit, we'll just keep, keep at it. And so, yeah. Right on. Thanks for joining us today though. We really, really appreciate it. All right. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Church Podcast. You can subscribe at thevinemadison.org. This was our eighth episode, I believe. And so if you have an idea about something you'd like to hear us discuss, uh, an interview, the goal of this podcast, Vine Conversations, is simply the discipleship of the Vine people. And so that's the target we're shooting at. And so if you have feedback about this or an idea for a podcast, don't be afraid to reach out. Thanks so much for listening.